Good morning, party people. How you doing this morning? You look good. Can you thank the band for leading us in worship? Man. It was unbelievable. I don't know if it translates online. Did you see the height Isaiah was getting on some of those leaps there, man? James, I don't know where that athleticism come from. I've seen you do that. Like that, I was impressed. But I just love that we have young people leading us in worship, don't you? And, you know, sometimes we think that spiritually that just like happens. But the truth was, you know, Jaden, who was up here as a high school student, has had people pouring into him for years. And, and Isaiah, man, I remember when Isaiah, like uh, Pastor Eric, our worship pastor, uh, couldn't get Isaiah to even sing out loud, right? Like, he won't believe that. And he's just like, dude, you have an awesome voice. Why are you holding it back? And to see that one of the most dynamic worship leaders in the country right now up here, I mean, it just, we are so blessed. And it comes from people who have gone before pouring into the next generation. And that's a little bit of what this morning is about. I'm going to invite you to power on your Bibles or turn in the one in the book rack in front of you to Acts chapter 12. And eventually we're going to get to verse 12. But if you missed last week, we kicked off a new three-week teaching series called House Party. You guys like the party? Yeah. I like the party. And we've been looking at, last week we talked about Jesus' relational nature. How he would go from home to home, many times just inviting himself over for dinner, and would befriend and be with people. This amazing, dynamic leader, incredible orator, spent the majority of his time actually in relationship, sharing life, and demonstrating how to love his heavenly father. I'm, there's no qualms about this morning. I'm not going to be apologetic. We are trying to share with you about our outpost network, our communities on mission, our micro churches all over the city and state, and for you to consider not just joining one, but potentially even starting one over the next several months. And as we do this, I want to kind of update you because I know there's probably a number of you who are brand new this weekend. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We say it every week. We believe nobody is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, seriously, if it was uncomfortable coming in a place like this, thank you. Even if I don't get to talk to you today, we see you. We're thankful that you're here. And what we've tried to do over the last nine and a half years since starting the First Mercy Road Church is to see church as more than just a worship gathering. Before we started the first worship gathering for uh, Mercy Road, we, we met in homes and we started five micro churches, five outposts in that first year. And the first one started in my house. And I remember those days, those were some of the most fun days where like we didn't have a basement in this little home and then like the kids would go upstairs and like the, the ceilings would be bouncing up and down and then we'd spend all our time trying to go, kids, be quiet so we can pray and study the Bible. And, and, and many of the people in that first uh, outpost in our home Many of them actually weren't Christian or had all kinds of spiritual questions. And we got to see that thing go from one to become five, and they were kind of the microchurch version of our outposts in those early days. And I'll describe what all that is. But as I was thinking about this this week, probably hundreds of people who will be attending our services probably aren't even aware that that's the reality, that you only know of our worship service. And I want to share, she mentioned, Megan mentioned the video, our engagement pathway. We'll put that up on the screen really quick. You can see we want everybody to go to the first step class, uh, consider getting involved on the weekend and, and going through Rooted. But after that, the underground aspect of what we do, the long-term spiritual family of our church, 
is in a couple of ways. One, to produce disciples in one to three-year discipling relationships we call huddles. And two, what we're going to talk a lot about today, to our spiritual family on mission, our outpost network. And we've seen over time, there are kind of three different types of those. And so when we talk about outposts, I'm going to share a lot about what it is and how you see it in the New Testament, in the early church, and how you could live it out today. And you could throw some parties in your home this summer and the impact it could make. But you might ask the question, why? <laughs> why start an outpost in the first place? I want to show you in Acts chapter 12 why. I think you see one of the greatest kingdom impacts that is still making an impact 2,000 years later because someone just had the audacity to open up their home. That's all they did. They opened up their home to believers and they prayed together. And they see a miracle happen. You see, if you're new to the Bible, the, the first four books of the New Testament talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we refer to those as the Gospels. But Luke actually is a two-part book, and the second part is the book of Acts. It talks about after the resurrection of Jesus, how he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit is given to the believers in those early days, and they began to live out in smaller communities in their homes throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire, beginning in Jerusalem, eventually heading north, and then spreading all over the Roman Empire. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, Peter now, the apostle Peter, is thrown into prison. In fact, in the beginning of Acts chapter 12, we'll look at it later, James, the brother of John, one of the 11 disciples left, will be killed by King Herod simply for his faith. The first disciple of many to be martyred, to lose his faith as a witness for Christ. And Peter then will be thrown into prison, and the Christian believers are just assuming the same thing is going to happen to Peter that happened to James. But then they started praying. And they met in this home nearby and prayed throughout the night. And what eventually happened was Peter was freed. And he doesn't even really understand how. He wakes up and he finds himself freed from the guards. He had been in the fortress there near the temple in Jerusalem. And he just walked out completely unscathed. And he realizes he's not dreaming. And he goes to this house nearby where he knew there would be believers there. And we're going to pick up our story there. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Why start an outpost? Why be community on mission? Why find spiritual family? Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house, literally the oikos, as we've studied before, the 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence. He went to the oikos of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Now stop there for just a second. got to explain some things. So John Mark has two names. Anybody wonder why? Is he kind of like the Billy Bob of the New Testament? No. Uh, John is his Hebrew name, and his, uh, his Latin name is Mark. So he's not from Kentucky. He actually, this is another shot. I love making shots of Kentucky. But he, he actually had a Hebrew name and a Latin name, which is very significant because the fact that they are referring to him by his Latin name is, uh, means that he probably had some status within the Roman Empire. In fact, this prayer meeting in the home has been meeting at his mom Mary's house and which was most likely very near the fortress, which meant that she was probably pretty wealthy and influential because that's you could afford a home near that place. It was kind of like living in the hills. And so they find themselves coming to, Peter comes to this home where Mary and the, and the Christians have been praying, and for the first time, John, also known as Mark, is going to meet Peter. Anybody know why that's significant? 
because he will go on to write the Gospel of Mark. And the reason it's in the New Testament is because it's thought to be the firsthand account of Peter that Mark wrote down. And this is where they meet. All because his mom opened up his home for prayer. We're going to dive into that this morning. You see, where they went to the home, verse 12 again, where many people had gathered and were praying. Uh, Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and I love this, a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And they're like, you're crazy. You are out of your mind, they said. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, not the one who had been killed at the beginning of Acts 12, this is the half-brother of Jesus who will become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. It says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Brothers and sisters, not biological here. It's talking about spiritual family. He said, and then he left for another place. Even the apostle Peter needed a community praying for him. And they needed him to come to the door and share the story of what the Lord had done, miraculously freeing him. The truth is, every Christian, every person who has been created in the image of God, surrender their life to Christ. You and I, you need your people, and your people need you, period. Or maybe exclamation point. Because when we don't have that spiritual community, it is so easy to get distracted with all the craziness in this world. And we all know that because we lived through the last year and a half. Amen. And so if you have found yourself over the last year or so becoming isolated, I want to encourage you today to reclaim spiritual community. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for every person here. It's a beautiful Sunday. They could have gone out. They could have gone to Lake today. They could have gone anywhere they wanted, done whatever they wanted to do. And they came here to worship you, to hear from your word. I know in a room of this size with almost every seat taken and those attending online that there are some here who aren't really sure about what they believe, aren't even really sure about whether they would consider themselves a Christian or where they stand spiritually. God, I pray that today that every person does not experience condemnation but experiences the joy of knowing you, Jesus. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here. Speak to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Holy cow, did all of you enjoy that desert weather yesterday? I don't know how hot it was, but it was like a million degrees here in the Midwest for those in other parts of the world. It was so hot, and my son decided to play in a tennis tournament outdoors on the blacktop. It was brutal all day long sitting out there. It's very hard for me sitting in the shade. You know, he's young, but it was hard on me. And I remember, uh, you know, sweating like crazy, just go, oh, man, it's so exhausting. And I find sometimes, like, uh, the weekend, we just get so busy, we run around and we forget to appreciate some things. In fact, I found forgot to appreciate one of my own children. Just on a Friday, my son Jet was riding his bike. He's been real excited, no longer needs all the training wheels and stuff, so he flies all over the place. And he goes flying down this hill. He had his helmet on, that was good. But he, uh, he bit it and he wrecked. And Jet, if you don't know Jet, Jet's kind of a meathead. So he didn't tell me. He didn't cry. He didn't do anything. He just laid there. And then my daughter came in, and she was bawling her eyes out. 
She's like, Jed is hurt. He's dying. Dad, you got to come. You got to come get him. So I run out there, and there's Jed just laying there, and he's, his arm's bleeding. He's got blood coming down. He's skinned his, his elbow real bad. And, you know, Jed is real upset, and Jed's like, Dad, I skinned my elbow. And I did the natural, loving, compassionate father thing. I said, oh, yeah, that's happened to me before. You'll be all right. Just get up and walk it off. <laughs> and then I realized, even though Jet was a tough kid, that's not really the reaction he wanted. He wanted me to care for him and be there for him in his time of need. And so he literally gets himself up right away, walks straight in the house and goes and tells mom. And then Lisa's like, oh, my goodness, my boy, are you okay? And she's like wiping the blood. And she's patching it up. And he's just got a big smile on his face. He's like, I've made it. This is what he wanted. He wanted that experience. And I felt kind of some guilt. Why didn't I respond that way? It's my son too, right? And I started thinking about it. We all understand in our biological families that when our children get hurt, they want some compassion and love and care from their caretakers or from their parents. I find that we fail to see sometimes how we all need spiritual family that is there for us when we fall and wreck ourselves in life and need some healing and just some love and care in our moments of need. That's usually when we've been taught to put up walls and act like you're tough and you don't need any help. Even the apostle Peter found himself in prison thinking he's going to die. The Lord miraculously frees him. Why? Because his community had been praying for him, and the Lord heard their prayers. And then he goes straight to that community because these are his people. Who are your people today? Man, I've been really convicted of this, and I want to describe our long-term spiritual family. And let's remember that Jesus in the New Testament redefined family, right? His mother and brothers show up. And Jesus tells them, who are my mother and my brothers? These are my mother and brothers. Our spiritual family is redefined to not just include those who we're biologically related to. And that because of that, in this Christian community, they find real healing. They, gr- they grow. They care for one another. And I have the most devout atheist of my friends. I've never seen a one of them that were ever offended or wouldn't love that type of community. But too often in church, we turn that community into a worship gathering of this size or larger and not about actual relationship in the homes, caring for each other, being in each other's sphere of influence in our times of need. And that's the way that they lived in the New Testament. Do you believe that we could still see that happen in our culture today? And, And I know we all, as Christians at least, would probably say cognitively in our heads, yes, of course, that's what we should have. But the reality is most of us don't expect it. Do you expect to have the types of stories that they had? We're going to look at that. Did you, do you expect to have the type of purpose that they had? Do you expect to experience the type of joy that they had? See, that's what our spiritual families, our outposts are designed for. If you say, what is an outpost? Very simply uh, to define it, an outpost for us are gatherings of people who meet regularly for community discipleship and mission. These smaller communities, and we have three different versions of this. In the early days, most of them were the kind of the microchurch version. In the last couple of years, we've had a lot of new ministries and outreaches occur. And in each of those things, these communities meeting for mission, discipleship, and uh, community, And so what I want to challenge you to consider today, like I began this message with, is to consider over the next several months looking to join an outpost if you've already been through Rooted or 
go and start one. If you say, well, what does that look like? I'm going to describe that for you. But I want to share with you why we do that is for kingdom impact. But sometimes we miss the benefits that we experience because we live that way. I want to show you through Acts chapter 12 how they did that. When you open your home, you experience some incredible things. The first thing, when you open your home, you experience the joy of Christ. The type of joy you can't experience anywhere else. We have meaningful, heartfelt relationships. And I get some of that. For some of you, that means talking to one another. And for some of you, it means doing things together. I get it. We're all made the same. But we're all called to have Christian community. And so I love this in verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and the servant named Rhoda came to the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back home and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. She gets this moment where they had missed their friends so much. They had so earnestly prayed for him. They had put God at the center of their relationships that when Peter shows up, it's not just like, oh, good, that's great. It's the God of the universe heard our prayers and our friend didn't die. And she is so overjoyed. She goes and exclaims, people don't even believe it. They're like, you crazy, you're out of your mind, it says. But she wasn't. God had actually moved and worked in that way. She ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Verse 15, you're out of your mind. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. And even they were astonished. The joy, the excitement that comes with following the Lord is, is incredible. Some of the greatest joys of my life have happened in outposts. You know, my wife and I have led a number of outposts for years. And in those communities, they were usually the microchurch version of our outposts. And in those communities, what we saw over time was this partnership and friendship that you can't find other places. And, and, and usually, you know, for many of us in our busy culture, we don't make time for that because we forget about what it actually provides, not just for other people, but in our own lives. I've seen people in our outposts actually come to faith in the first outpost we ever started, half of the people either weren't Christians or hadn't been in church in years. The conversations that would happen there spiritually, and at the end of every outpost, we'd study the Bible together. We'd, we'd pray for one another. We'd break off into groups and say, what does this mean to you? What's the Lord saying to you? And then we'd ask them, what are you going to do about it? And then we'd ask, what, how can we help? And as we did those steps, we began to see that life change would happen. And we'd always leave every week with a challenge of how we're going to live differently because of this. And when we first started the church, actually, we were having more people in our outposts than the worship service because people, you know, got that vision. I believe we're in the middle of a revolution here in the state of Indiana where people are getting the, 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 the empowered, uh, decentralized version of church where God doesn't just put a spirit in public speakers and professional Christians, but in the lives of all believers, and when the Spirit works in you, it brings joy. It brings hope. That's why in Romans 15, 13, the Apostle Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I witnessed something like this just recently. I don't watch this TV show that much uh, lately, but I saw the clip of the singer who goes by Nightbird. Anybody see this on America's Got Talent? And she's from Zanesville, Ohio. And she's 30 years old, and she's battled cancer for years, three-time survivor of cancer, and at the time of the recording, at least still had cancer in parts of her body. And she sang the song that, I mean, Simon Cowell, of all people, got choked up 
and hit that gold ticket buzzer thing where she's instantly into the finals. But it was just such an emotional moment. And I was reading a blog post by her online and she was talking about how much suffering and pain she had gone through, how she was mad at God about it. And I don't know all of her spiritual faith, but I know in this blog post, she, she talked about how her faith in God and Christ is what got her through. And even when she was mad at him, how he carried her. And at the end of that moment, Simon Cowell is like talking to her and he's getting choked up and, and, and she stops him for just a second. And she says, you know, you can't, you can't wait until everything is going well in your life to decide to be happy. And that hit me. The joy of Christ in Christian community means that you can be going through the hardest season of your life. You guys know our story. The first outpost we started is when we lost a son. And it was that outpost that surrounded us with the love and compassion of Christ. And if you're doing it alone as an isolated Christian, especially coming out of the last year and a half, you need this now more than ever. When we open up our house, we experience the joy of Christ. Number two, we also get to hear and share stories of God. Look what happened. Peter, in verse 17, motioned with his hand for them to be quiet because, remember, they're in this wealthy, aristocratic community, most likely. He's like, you've got to calm down. Like, don't be so excited. People are going to draw too much attention. And he says, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He tells them the incredible, miraculous story. Like, dude, and then I, I was like, I just walked out, and the guard was there. The guard, I just walked right out, and nobody did anything. And then I found out, and I woke up, and I wasn't actually dreaming. It was all real. I couldn't believe it. And I just came here, and then you guys were here. Then you're yelling, waking up the neighbors. But, like, he had a story to share. And what does he tell them? He says, tell James, again, the half-brother of Jesus and the other brothers and sisters, the other believers, our spiritual family about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So they see him, they hear the story, and they get to go run and tell James and the other Christians about how God miraculously saved Peter because they heard their prayers and he wasn't going to die like James did. See, some, some of y'all, you're going to get to heaven and you're going you're gonna to have salvation. You're going to be so excited about it. And it's going to be awesome because Jesus was crucified, rose, resurrected from the grave. And you truly repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Jesus. And you're going to get there and you're going to have no stories to share. You're going to be hearing people going like, dude, and then like I prayed that God would show up in my marriage. And then all of a sudden, like we were done, man. We were done. And then God like healed it. And then we really believed he was going to do it. And then, then we had kids together because of it. And then our kids went on to do these other things and this spiritual impact all because of this one choice. And they could tell this incredible story. And you'd be like, that sounds awesome. I wish I would have done it. And we talk about, I, man, my one friend who was so far from God, I'm telling you, you know what I'm saying when I'm far from God. I mean, he was doing things I can't even talk about in heaven. But like he was doing it there. And then we just kept praying and we kept praying for our friend and we just kept loving him right where they're at. And then one day he turned and he said, I want to know the joy that you guys have. And he surrendered his life and he's here today. And here's the 50 people he led to Christ because we prayed for him. <laughs> you know, like, and we're going to get there. And some of us are going to be standing in the back. Oh, those guys are awesome. Wow. You know what you can't do when you get to heaven? Tell anybody about Jesus. <laughs> I already know. You know what you can't do when you get to heaven? Live for joy for Christ through suffering. Suffering's all over and done. We don't know how many days we get on the planet, whether it's nine or 90 years. We don't get to determine that. But we get to determine what we live for. When you experience the joy of Christ 
in Christian community and you open up your home because this one woman was allowed believers to come and pray there, they get to experience the story and then they get to share that story. I'm telling you over the years, I am far from a perfect human being. I have all kinds of brokenness and God has been refining me over the years for sure. But I want to tell you, I got some stories. I remember praying for a high school student that was at a camp I was leading. We prayed for the entire month he was there. He showed up listening to music, and this is a really conservative camp. You weren't allowed to listen to secular music, and he was listening to Eminem when he walked in. And he he was real excited. He said, I don't want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Marshall Mathers. I was like, okay, and I just loved this kid. He was really funny, and we just prayed for Joey for an entire month, and he never came to Christ. We fasted like crazy for him, and we prayed, God, please, never came to Christ. Six months later, he writes me an email and says, I want you and Ricky, your co-counselor, to know that I surrendered my life to Christ, and it all started because of the way that you prayed for me over that month we had together at that camp. I saw the Lord using that moment, and I went back. Yes, you can clap for that, because he, he said, I, and then he started listing all the changes he was making in his life and how he's beginning to live differently, and I was just in tears reading this email. I, I, I got a, I stories of a young man who had been far from God and joined a neo-Nazi gang, had a giant swastika on his shoulder, and he came to, to Christ in the ministry you're leading, and he repented of all of his sin and the way he'd been doing life, and he went through the painful laser surgery to have the swastika removed from his skin because he was no longer going to be identified with the hate of humans, but by the love of Christ. And when you have these types of stories, guys, it fires you up for more of them. I've seen in our church, I just went this week to pray with somebody who five or six years ago was super far from God, came to a church service, never really being around church, surrendered his life to Christ, went through years of the hard work of changing his, his life in Christ, and, and, and then went on to lead ministries and, went and helped us plant the church, and now moved two and a half hours away, and he's praying about, can we start another church in the community he's in today? That's the way the gospel works when we are relationally invested in people, when we open up our homes and go to people's homes and be with people in real meaningful relationships, when you open your house, you experience the joy of Christ, you hear the stories of God. And so if you want to start an outpost or a micro church version of it or the ministry version or the outreach version, I want to tell you, I just got seven things and Pastor Greg's got a better list, but here's the seven simple things to do. One, pray. Two, email Greg. If you just do that, you're good. Pray, email greg at mercyroad.cc, Pastor Greg, oversees our entire Outpost Network. Three, throw a couple of house parties this weekend or this summer like we talked about. Great time to launch a new uh, Outpost is in uh, August, September, that season, school starting back up. So you lay the groundwork now, get to know people, throw a few uh, parties in your home, do some things uh, that you already enjoy doing and connect with people that way. Four, share the vision eventually of starting an outpost with some of the relationships that you have or are building. Try and get at least six to eight people to join you. Set a date that you're going to launch it and then pray again. Just some simple things that you could do over the next four months to see everything that we're talking about begin to happen in your life. You could even simplify it more and just email Pastor Greg and maybe get connected to the right one. They're all listed on the website. Look for the caramel ones. But I share that because I know why many of us don't do it. Because being in real relationships are hard. (laughs) It costs us something. There will be times when you're meeting in a community, you're like, I'm busy. I had a lot of work going on. I really don't want to do this right now. 
that one person overshared a little bit last weekend, and now they're kind of getting on my nerves, and I don't really want to be around them now. Just me? You're going to go through times where you're like, oh, man, the kids, when I go over to the house, even though they're in the basement, like, it's just it's kind of hard, and I don't know, or I include the kids, but then my kids embarrass me. You're going to have all these excuses why you shouldn't do it. But you will never see what you read about in the New Testament without it. Jesus prioritized being in homes with people. You see throughout the book of Acts, the home is the primary place in which the gospel is spread. I love at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, remember in verse 1, it says, About this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. So when these people are meeting in the home and praying together, when Peter is arrested, they're, all, they're not like, oh man, I'm going to have to have a hard relationship tonight, a tough conversation, or I'm going to have to give up an hour and a half and I got a lot of work to do, or it's going to mess up my kids' sports uh, events because they're going to be a pro athlete someday. I know I got these real world problems, but you didn't have to worry about losing your life simply for meeting. Their friend had just been killed because of his faith. And they are meeting, and they are praying, and they are calling out to the Lord. You know, we started a new partnership. There was a gentleman in our church who has, over the many years, developed uh, ministries in about seven different countries, uh, partnering with existing ministries in about seven different countries in the continent of Africa, helping them with uh, disciple-making and uh, training and resourcing financially. And so uh, he had been attending our microchurch that meets at 9 a.m. here. And he said, I really want to have a church community that I can partner with to do this. And so dedicated all the resources to partner with Mercy Road to, to do this ministry in Africa. And I got to interview one of the missionaries that we're helping support. And out at Outpost Central today, their team is actually out there. would love to meet you. You can see all the countries that they're ministering in. We're also now, I just heard from Pastor Greg, helping start a number of micro churches all over the continent of Africa, in addition to the 80-plus outposts in our network here in Indiana, the 20, I believe, eight outposts that are in the hopper to be started in the next few months. Like, God is on the move in the micro-communities around the world. And, and I just want to show you this 90-second interview as I talked to this woman in Africa that we're helping support and asked her in the closing. The full interview is 12 minutes. It's online. You can go watch it today. But this, like, 90-second clip, I asked her, what can we pray for you about? I thought she'd say, well, pray that we get, you know, the resources financially, pray for training or whatever. Here's what she asked us to pray for her about. Let's watch this together. Final question, and then I want to, if you can stick on, I'd love to ask a few more things. But uh, yeah. how can we be praying for you and FARP and everything that's happening in East Africa? Um, okay. Please pray for us that um, people will rise up to the need of uh, discipling others and um we'll not just do it because we want to impress anybody but we are doing it because we want to to grow believers and even as the great commission commands us to it doesn't give us an option if you're a christian and you're called by god's name you're commanded to go out and make disciples mm -hmm. so you find that um 
most believers want to do what is comfortable gospel. They don't want to, to invest their time. They don't want to make themselves vulnerable to others to learn from them. So I please pray for us that we will have intentional disciple makers who understand the calling. It's not about um, make, making followers to come to your church and grow numbers, but it's about bringing souls to Christ, nurturing them, helping them to grow so that they can go out and also spread the good news. That's beautiful. And you're probably not surprised, but we have some of those same problems in the United States. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> people not wanting to do the hard work of discipleship and rather just being consumerist Christians. So I, uh, yeah. I get it. We understand. Mm-hmm. I will. Mm-hmm. Can I pray for you now? Yes, please. Yes, I'd love to do that. I couldn't believe what she wanted was for us as Americans to pray that the Christians would rise up to do the hard work of disciple-making. If, if you live out what we've described today in real relationships in your home, receiving from other people, investing in other people, becoming a disciple who grows and lives on mission, we often talk about that Rooted is really designed to produce people who follow Jesus, that are a Christian. Our huddles are to develop spiritual leaders, and our outposts are to produce missionaries. And if you're not really a disciple who is making disciples who is making disciples, are you really a disciple at all? Because that's really the heart of being a disciple of Jesus. I'm not saying you don't have salvation. I'm saying if you're learning the ways of Jesus, that's how he lived. And so the third and final point I want to make very briefly is, if you open up your house, you find your purpose. You see, if you look at verse 12 again, it said, when this had dawned on Peter. He went to the house, the oikos of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. But, but what they didn't expect was, because Mary didn't go, oh, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. And she actually opened up her home for prayer. They got to witness this miracle. And it wasn't just that they got to witness the miracle and experience the joy of it. It wasn't just that they got to experience and see the stories of God working. It was also that her own son would find his purpose through it. You see, her son, John, also known as Mark, would become Mark the Evangelist, who would write the Gospel Mark. 2,000 years later, people are still coming to Christ, the earliest written gospel that we have, all because he got to connect with Peter in the home because they opened it up for prayer today. You think you don't have the time or it's going to cost you something. It is. Following Jesus costs you something. It's going to take your time, talents, and treasures to be used by God for kingdom impact, but you're also going to gain from it. It's just not eternal salvation alone. It's also that you get the joy of Christ. You get the stories that you experience. You find your purpose in it. John Mark would go on to be the first church planner in the continent of Africa, and he would be the bishop one day of Alexandria, and he would be so exonerated because of his heartfelt uh, passion for the gospel that one day they would actually take him and build a big building, a basilica for uh, St. Mark in, in, in Venice, Italy, and they'd steal the bones, so to speak, and take these relics. And we don't believe in all that, but what I want to tell you is they would for centuries talk about Mark, and he didn't want any of that. He just wanted to follow Jesus and be responded and fill out his purpose to write down the account of Peter so that we could all read it and then tell everybody the good news of Jesus. He would be known as Mark the Evangelist because he wouldn't stop telling people about Christ. If some of you today got willing to 
open up your home or go to someone else's home and be in real community with one another. I believe when you get to heaven one day, you're going to have some stories to share. And I want to challenge you to live differently. Email Pastor Greg today. But then for some of you here today, you've never had that type of spiritual family. You've fallen and skinned up your elbow and you didn't have the loving parent to come along Side you. I want to tell you, if you have been searching for that, you have found it. The Spirit of God is with us today. He brings joy and hope, and he wants to use us as Christians together, loving one another, helping each other in need. I want to tell you, do not do life alone. If you are the biggest atheist in the room, I love you. We love you. Jesus loves you. The Spirit of God is not done with you. He wants you to experience the type of community that we just described, and you may go on one day to lead more people to Christ than I ever will. And I believe that's the greatest impact we could ever make is just pour ourselves back into humanity to show them the love that God first showed us. So if that's you in the room and you want to say, I want to stop living for myself, I want to live for something more, I want to have stories to share one day, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. Will you pray with me? God, I pray right now there is somebody in the room. The truth is they don't know what's going to happen to them when they die. But you give us great purpose to live for all of eternity, God, but also to be used by him now. And some of us are wasting this time. We're wasting our resources. We're wasting our energy on frivolous things that won't matter 100 years from now. And so if you're in the room right now and you would like to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to find your purpose like Mark did, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I prayed out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And on this day, I surrender every aspect of my life to you, Lord. Use me, Jesus. Connect me to Christian community. We love you, and we worship you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's family said, amen, amen.